Shalom, Holy Scriptures and Israel is a ministry designed to share with the Jewish people the good news of the Lord Jesus Yeshua the Messiah and to instruct Christians on the Jewish roots of their faith. And now, teaching God's Word from a Hebrew Messianic perspective, here is Gideon Levitam. Shalom, my dear brothers and sisters. God bless you. What a privilege the Lord is given to us uh, to be under the sound of His Word and how blessed we are to be able to study this interesting gospel, Besorah in Hebrew, Besorat Matityahu, the Gospel of Matthew. This gospel, of course, is a gospel that presents before us the King of the Jews, uh, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. It is through this gospel that the Lord, by His Spirit, is seeking to communicate with the people of Israel and, of course, with all the world. But the Lord is seeking to communicate the truth concerning the person of the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, that He is indeed the promise, a Messiah of Israel and the Savior of this world. Often you will find, beloved brothers and sisters, that the Matthew, guided by the Spirit of God, is quoting the Hebrew Scriptures again and again to verify, to prove, to show forth that this Jesus, this Yeshua, is indeed the promised one of Israel that came to become the Messiah, the Savior, the King of the Jews. And we have arrived now to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and we are really entering into these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which often are called the Sermon on the Mount. In Hebrew, they are called Drasha al Ha'ar. Why? Because the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, went up into a mountain and he began to teach on that mountain in the Galil, in the north of Israel. So I would like you please to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible available, please open the Word of God and follow me as I'm reading the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5. And we read, And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the 
pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, for it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, beloved brothers and sisters and dear friends, I've read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5. Now, it is very important for us as we enter into this section of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that we understand that the Sermon of the Mount, the sermon which Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, gave on that mountain in the land of Israel, in the Galil, was not given in order to lead anyone unto salvation, but that sermon was given in order that the people of Israel and, of course, the disciples which followed the Lord that they will understand the kind of life that will prevail when the Messiah will come ultimately and establish the kingdom of heaven. Let me just remind you that within this section that we have already read, throughout that uh, Gospel of Matthew, we have read concerning the fact that Yeshua the King has come. You remember in Matthew chapter 2, we do read that the wise men came from the east. They said, where is he that was born? King of the Jews. Melech HaYehudim. Why? They came all the way from the east because they have already learned from people such as uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and perhaps Esther, and perhaps Mordechai the Jew, and many others of the godly of Israel that were taken captive to Babel, they were faithful to their own God, and they knew very well that there is a promised kingdom that would come, and that the Messiah would come in a future day, and that he will ultimately 
establish what is known the kingdom that he will be the one through the Messiah who will rule and reign over his returned people to himself, the people of Israel. To remind you that it was a king Nebuchadnezzar that received the unfolding of the dream that he dreamt, and how Daniel have helped him to understand that he was a king that was allowed by God to be a king for a, a little while, and that after him will come some other kingdoms, not only Babylon, but Medo-Persia, and not only Medo-Persia, by the Grecian, and not only the Greek, also the Romans. And all these kingdoms were allowed by God to rule over this world during the times of the Gentiles, but their kingdom will not last, because eventually the Messiah Yeshua will come and he will rule and reign over his restored people of Israel and over the whole world. And you remember, beloved brothers and sisters, what we did read in the interpretation of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt, which Daniel provided for him. He said, And in his days, or in the days of these kings, shall God, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In other words, there will be a kingdom that will stand forever and it will not be given to other people, but it will be given back to the people whom God have chosen to use as his people, as, as a light to this world. Through them will come the Messiah, Yeshua Jesus, who have come through the virgin birth was born to Miriam in the city of Bethlehem. And that's why when the wise men came from the east, they said, where is he that was born king of the Jews? That he will rule and reign in a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And so no wonder when John the baptizer was preaching in the Jordan River, he said to the people that have come down from Jerusalem and, and all the region of the Jordan, he says, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. The king is coming. The Messiah, the king, is coming. The king of the Jews. Prepare yourself. Repent because the kingdom is at hand. Well, of course, uh, it's not only John the baptizer that presented this kingdom that is at hand, but if, if you remember, it was none but the Lord Jesus the Messiah himself who also has preached the word of God. And he presented, spoke in all the synagogue, the synagogues in the Galil. And what did he say? What did he preach? He preached the fact that they must repent, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as Yeshua the Messiah was ministering in the Galil, what did he teach in the synagogue in Matthew 4 and verse 23? 
the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is the word for news, good news. The good news, the news, in Hebrew we call it Besorah. The Besorah has come. The Besorah is presenting the coming kingdom. It says in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 4, And Jesus went about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You see, you and I today, in the present day of the church age, we are preaching the gospel of the grace of God. Because we were part of the ecclesia, the church during this present mystery age of the church. When we share the gospel, it is always in view of the fact that whoever will become Part of the assembly, the church, will be part of the heavenly company. We are not bringing the kingdom. We are bringing others and become part of the body of the Messiah and become part of the assembly, the church. And the church will be raptured and taken to heaven. And the, during the seven years of the tribulation, the 144 Hebrews will preach the gospel of the kingdom once again. And the kingdom is earthly. The kingdom is for here and now in this world. The kingdom is when the king coming to earth. And in the context of Matthew chapter 5, the kingdom was going to come now had Israel accepted Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah of Israel and the Savior, the Redeemer of this world. But we know that Israel haven't as we will see it by the time that we will conclude with the Gospel of Matthew, but it was in the wisdom of God who knew very well that Israel will reject the Mashiach Yeshua at his first coming. Isaiah already wrote about it some 750 years prior to the coming of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We, that means Israel, have turned each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. Of course, the Lord bore your iniquity and mine on the cross, so before the kingdom will come, he must suffer. But when we begin in the Gospel of Matthew, Yeshua introduces himself to his earthly people Israel, as the one that is the king of the Jews. Will Israel accept him? And so now in these chapters, chapter 5 and 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount was given to show, to prove, to reveal that proper behavior or proper righteousness do not come out of works that one does, but in order for one to live in such a standard, he or she must be guided by the Spirit of God. Now, beloved brothers and sisters, you will notice here in this introduction to this Sermon on the Mount that this Sermon on the Mount was the first of the five sermons or five discourses 
that the Lord Jesus the Messiah gave during his life on earth. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it was the discourse on the mount, which he gave specifically to his disciples and others that followed him. In chapter 10, verses 1 to 42, was the missionary discourse which he gave to his disciples, whom he was sending to preach the message to all the household of Israel initially. And he's sending them in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Matthew. He called his twelve disciples and he gave them power against unclean spirit. And he said to them that they are to go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was initially the second discourse that he gave while Yeshua Jesus was here on earth. Thirdly, of course, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 52, that was the third uh, discourse called parable discourse, in which the Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, gave to his disciples uh, on the one hand, to reveal to them the truth concerning the coming days, and on the other hand, to conceal from those who did not believe in him the truth of the word of God. It is to reveal to his own people and to conceal to those who didn't follow him. Then we also see that in Matthew chapter 18, there is a discourse concerning humility and forgiveness that he gave. In chapter 18, we read of this discourse. He began, of course, with uh, bringing, taking a child and set him before everyone, and he gave a discourse concerning the need to have humility and forgiveness in the life of God's people. And that's why he said in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 18, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is in view of the earthly messianic kingdom that is called the kingdom of heaven. Other Gospels called it the Kingdom of God. It was the promise, earthly establishment of a kingdom, that the Messiah will rule and reign, and heaven will rule over earth through the person of the Lord Jesus the Messiah. And of course, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, to chapter 25, verse 46, we have the fifth discourse, and it is called the Olivet Discourse, and it's more specifically deal with what will take place during the seven-year tribulation, which will come to pass after the church has taken to heaven at the rapture, and God will deal with his earthly people, Israel, here on earth. He will judge the world. He will refine his earthly people, Israel, restore them back to himself, and will ultimately establish the promised messianic kingdom. That's why 
It does say, beloved brothers and sisters, in chapter 25 and verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all His holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divide his sheep from the goat. You see, beloved brothers and sisters, five discourses. The Discourse on the Mount, the Missionary Discourse, the Parable Discourse, the Discourse on Humility and Forgiveness, and the Olivet Discourse. Five discourses that we have recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, which Yeshua, the Messiah, was sharing with his disciples, teaching them, instructing them, and presenting before them the quality of life and that which will transpire as the kingdom of heaven is going to be established. Now, what is the background of this Sermon on the Mount? It is very important to understand this Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. It is also found in Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 49. But we have a tremendous details here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now this sermon, or this discourse on the mount, was given during a special days in the days when the Messiah began his public ministry. When the Lord Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, began his public ministry, there was already an amazing anticipation by the Jewish people for the coming messianic kingdom. There was a messianic anticipation, beloved brothers and sisters, to remind you that about four 150 years prior to the time that Yeshua the Messiah would begin his public ministry, that the prophet Malachi had promised that the Messiah will come. And that the Messiah will come and that he will ultimately be the one that he called him the messenger of the covenant. He's called the messenger of the covenant according to Malachi chapter 3. We read, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. That first messenger is Yohanan Hamadbil, John the baptizer. But then we read, And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. Again, the word messenger is mentioned in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. That second messenger, in Hebrew, Malach, messenger, is the Messiah himself. He will suddenly come, notice, to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. And so there was a desire for the coming of the Messiah by our people for those years, even though there was a time of decline and departure 
And yet there were always those godly of Israel that waited for the coming of the Mashiach. Oftentimes, till today, there is a song that we sing, When the Messiah will come. When the Messiah will come, what kind of life will be? What kind of blessing we are going to be blessed with? What kind of joy this world will experience when the Messiah will come? And you notice this, beloved brothers and sisters, that there were those that were anticipating the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of Israel. It was Simon, in Hebrew, Shimon, according to Luke chapter 2. We read about Simon who came to the temple and he held the baby Yeshua in his hand when his mother Miriam and his stepfather Yosef brought him to the temple after the time that, that Miriam had to offer these turtle doves and, and young pigeons according to the, that which the law had said after her purification. And then we read in verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Shimon. And the, and the same man was just and devout. And listen to this, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the comfort of the people of Israel. And he came, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Of course, there was no church as yet, because the assembly, the church, was only had its beginning after the death of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah, the ascension of Jesus the Messiah, and the sending of the Holy Spirit by Jesus the Messiah to form the body of Messiah, the body of Christ, in the city of Jerusalem, where all the early believers were there who have accepted Jesus the Messiah. And it was only then, in Acts chapter 2, when the church was born. But when Shimon came to the temple, Yeshua was some eight days old, plus the, the, the time that his mother Miriam had to be uh, awaiting until she will have to come to the temple in order to be purified by offering these turtle doves and two young pigeons, according to Leviticus chapter 12. And so here, long before the church was born, some 33 years prior to that, Shimon was a devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. A little bit later on in the very same chapter, chapter 2, in verse 38, we read of another person. And this person, of course, was Hannah. And Hannah, in verse 36, 37, and 38, she also was an older woman, she was a widow for about 84 years, which departed not from the temple, but she served God with fasting and prayer night and day. And she, just like Shimon, Hannah as well, she came in to the temple that year. That instant she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. And notice what we read about her. And she spake of him, to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem, There were many. They were anticipating the redemption, the Yeshua. In Hebrew, Yeshua means 
redemption. She was waiting for the deliverance of those in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. And so, beloved brothers and sisters, the background of this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the effect that there was a messianic anticipation by the Jewish people during the time of the coming of the Messiah. Not all, but in every generation in Israel history, you always have these godly men and women that were seeking the mind of the Lord and following after Him, preserving for us today the Word of God that we have in our hands and faithfully continuing to follow Yeshua, the Messiah, even since the time of the early Hebrew disciples, whom the Lord used to become the foundation of the assembly. But the second thing that we want to learn, that this sermon was given during the time with the Lord Jesus, the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, was publicly presenting himself as the Messiah, of Israel, and some of the proofs that he was the Messiah was the very fact that he pre- performed many miracles. There are many miracles that the Lord Jesus the Messiah performed during his life here on earth. In fact, we just finished to read in Matthew chapter 4 after he went about in all Galilee, he was teaching in their synagogue, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and He was healing all manner of sicknesses and all manner of diseases among the people. In fact, what we read, beloved brothers and sisters, in Matthew 4 and verse 24, that He, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, He healed people who came with diverse diseases. They were tormented. Those that were possessed with demons those that were lunatics, and those that had palsy, and he healed them. Imagine, it was a time where the whole, throughout the nation, and the region throughout the Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, people have heard, and the Galil, people have heard concerning the person of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and they have seen the effect that he healed uh, so many And he was preaching and teaching from the Word of God. But there is a third reason by way of understanding the background of the Sermon of the Mount is that at that time there was also a conflict between Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, and the spiritual leaders of Israel. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And because the Pharisees taught Pharisaic righteousness, which they sought to convey to their people, to the rest of the nation, they have diverted from the biblical righteousness that was demanded according to the word of the law. In fact, the Pharisees taught Pharisaic righteousness while the prophets of Israel, prior to the time of the Pharisees, they taught what we know it today, what is called biblical Old Testament righteousness, that base 
upon faith in God and not upon works system. Let me remind you, my dear brothers and sisters, that since the time between the prophet Malachi and the time of the coming of the Messiah, these days, these 400, 450 years in between, there was a development of rabbinical teachings and uh, therefore the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, through whom the, today the rabbis of Israel came from, was, it was now a, have a change from a faith system given by the Word of God to works system that was introduced by men. And why? Because when Israel have turned away from the Lord and the sacrificial system was uh, now, of course, ended at the coming of the Messiah. And so there was a human opinion and human views that was introduced. It was mixed, of course, with seeking to please God, but seeking to achieve righteousness on the basis of works and uh, not simply on the basis of faith. And that's why Jesus the Messiah rejected the Pharisaic righteousness as the basis of entering into the kingdom of heaven, as the true interpretation of the Mosaic law. The true interpretation of the Mosaic law would lead one to say to God, God be merciful to me a sinner, I cannot be justified on the basis of the works of the law, I am so thankful that you have provided the sacrifices to make an atonement for my soul, for my sin, to forgive my sin. But you see, beloved brothers and sisters, the spiritual leaders of Israel who departed from the way of the Lord, they have introduced what is called a Pharisaic righteousness. And Yeshua, the Messiah, rejected the Pharisaic righteousness because what the Pharisees were saying, that the basis of entering into the kingdom of heaven is through Pharisaic righteousness, works righteousness. And they did not interpret correctly that which the Mosaic law was demanding from the people of Israel. And that's why you will notice that in this Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, Yeshua going to say, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, righteousness, none of us receive righteousness on a basis of law-keeping. The law was never given to our people Israel in order to redeem our people from sin, but the law was given to Israel in order to show Israel the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men, and that they in turn should uh, repent and turn to God and say, God, I cannot keep this law perfectly, I'm a sinner. And thank you for the 
blood of the sacrifice that make atonement for my soul. In fact, the apostle Paul, he himself said in Romans 7, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal and I am sold under sin. Paul knew that the law is spiritual, but I, he said of himself, and you and I can say it of ourselves, we are carnal and we are sold under sin. In fact, in verse 12 of Romans 7, Paul said that the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. But the problem, beloved friend, is that you and I are sinners by nature. There is no one that is righteous, no, no one. In fact, throughout the scripture, the psalmist of Israel, David, when he wrote in the psalm, the psalm 14, that God looks from above to see if there is anyone that seeks his own way. He is looking from heaven down and he sees the children of men to see if there is any that did understand and seek God. And you know what the conclusion? Verse 3 of Psalm 14, They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. No, not you. No, not I, my dear friend. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It was King Shlomo, the son of David, he himself said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That's what scripture declares before us, my dear friend. And the apostles throughout the new covenant in the, in the epistles, Paul and Peter and others have always written concerning the condition of the human heart. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one for all have sinned, we read, and come short of the glory of God. So the Lord Jesus the Messiah, as the background to the Sermon of the Mount, he was confronting the spiritual leaders of the day who taught that Pharisaic righteousness, works righteousness, will allow some to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they interpreted the law wrongly, the Mosaic law, by assuming that they, by the works of the law, will be able to please God. And we read, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified or declared righteous. And so it is very important that the Sermon of the Mount, if we will understand these three chapters, the Sermon of the Mount is Yeshua's interpretation of the standard of righteousness which God's law demands. Notice that 
the Sermon of the Mount is Jesus the Messiah's interpretation of the standard of righteousness which God's law demands. And because we are unrighteous, God's law also provided the sacrificial system. The blood maketh an atonement for the soul. And anyone who will believe God and believe God's way, as Abraham believed God, Genesis fifteen six, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. As David believed God, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, where we do read, Beloved brothers and sisters, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. How do you think David received forgiveness? On the basis of the blood sacrifice that was covering his sins temporarily, pointing to the Mashiach Yeshua Jesus that would come in the fullness of the time and not only cover sins but remove sin from the presence of God and provide biblical righteousness which will allow someone to enter into the kingdom of heaven that will be established upon the face of this earth in the coming days. And so Yeshua's interpretation of the true righteousness is that the standard of righteousness that the Lord demanded is that one must believe God's word, confess his or her sins, and accept the sacrifice that God provided. So, the biblical righteousness is the ground upon which we all would enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is simply by faith in God's word and God's Messiah, Yeshua, who was in days of old, before he died, it was appointed to him by the sacrifices which every person had to offer and the, be, the blood had to be shed. The animal became a substitute, the just one, pointing us to the Messiah, the just one, for the unjust in order to bring us to God. So the Sermon of the Mount is not the mean of salvation, beloved brothers and sisters, but the Sermon of the Mount is the outcome that will be evident in the life of one who is born of God, in the life of God who is forgiven through the blood atonement provided unto him or unto her. This is very important for us to understand, beloved brothers and sisters, as we enter into the study of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Sometimes people say, I live by the golden rule. And they say, they quote usually the verse from the Gospel of Matthew, Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And of course, oftentimes we fail in that. And we must realize that the Sermon on the Mount will be an evident 
of the change in a life of one who is already redeemed. And that standard of living will be evident in the future messianic kingdom that everyone that will enter into the future messianic kingdom will be one that is born of the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, and that will be produced in him or in her during the messianic kingdom. Now, of course, we are called today, and as we read these three chapters, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, along with the new covenant, with the instruction that was given to believers during the church age, you can see that the life of the believer is a high standard when he or she have the Holy Spirit of God after they have accepted the fact that Jesus the Messiah is their Lord and Savior, that will be produced in the life of the believer in the power of the Spirit of God. It ought to produce. But as long as we are here, we oftentimes fail. But when we sin and fail the Lord, thank God that we have the throne of grace. That when we sin before the Lord, we can come to the throne of grace and receive forgiveness from the Lord on the basis of the finished work of the Lord uh, Jesus the Messiah. In fact, the Apostle John, in First John 1 and verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, beloved brothers and sisters, now that we have the introduction before us, I want to take this time just to deal with the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5. In verses 1 and 2, we have the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, when he sees the multitude who follow after him. After we concluded with chapter 4, where he healed so many, and where he preached the gospel of the kingdom to come. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. He saw the multitude. There were many of them who were sick. They had diseases. They were tormented. They were possessed by demons. There were some of them lunatics. Some of them had palsy. He healed. And we read that verse 25, in verse 25 of chapter 4, And there followed him great multitude of people from Galilee and from the Diacapolis and from Jerusalem, Jerusalem and from Yehuda, Judea, and from the beyond the Jordan. Many of the Jewish people, those that even came from other nations, came to the land. They have fallen after him. So when he saw the multitude, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, verse 2 says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, the disciples that is, saying. Now I'm confident that there were more than these 12 disciples there who came closer to him on that mount, but those who followed him came unto him, and he began to teach them, beloved brothers and sisters. So the disciples came to Yeshua on that mountain where he was. In verse 2, Yeshua opened his mouth, and he taught the disciples. Now he was going to teach them in these verses 
concerning the fact that he is pointing to the blessing that will, or the joy or the happiness that will follow those who are producing in their life the righteousness which the Lord demanded. And again, beloved brothers and sisters, we have to realize that the righteousness that the Lord demanded could only be produced in one's life when he or she are led by the Spirit of God. How do you think Moshe, Moses, lived such a godly life? Or Aaron, or Joshua, or Yoshua, or all those, even David, and all the men and women in days of old before the Messiah came. None of them could have any ability to live for God unless they were led by the Holy Spirit of God. They believed God. They followed the God of Israel. They wanted to please Him. And they could only do so when they are following the Lord God and led by the Spirit of God. It is very similar for us today, although we we live in a present age when we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. But you remember what Shaul Paul said in Galatians 5, he says, walk in the Spirit. And then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because the Spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit. In other words, you have to have an internal righteousness that will bring about an external evidence of the fact that you belong to God. It's not the other way around. It is not a religion. It's not a system of men. It's not rules and regulation. It is one who is born of God, who is a forgiven person, who is led by the Spirit of God. And although we live in a different dispensation today, we have to realize that believers today in the present age have far greater responsibility to God because the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling the believer. The believer today has uh, the totality of the canon of Scripture in our hands. While in days of old, the nation of Israel did not have the privileges that believers have today. Yet, every Israeli in days of old who loved God, they were led by the Spirit of God. And that's how they, it produces in his life or her life a godly character. And you see what Yeshua is saying here in Matthew chapter 5, the qualities of true righteousness which will be evident in the life of a person who is born of God, who is led by the Spirit of God, who is a believer, and that will characterize in the future day, the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the millennial age, the thousand years reign of the Messiah. But here's the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, is now presenting this before his disciples. So he gone up to a mountain. Verse 1, he went up into a mountain 
And if you will notice, by the way, that in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Matthew, in verse 1, when he was come down from the mountain, the great multitude followed him. So you have him going up to the mountain, chapter 5 and verse 1. You have Yeshua coming down from the mountain, chapter 8 and verse 1. And that's why this a discourse is called the Sermon on the Mount or the Discourse on the Mount. In Hebrew, it is called Drasha Al-Hahar. Drasha Al-Hahar. It is a discourse that was on a mountain. So his disciples coming to him. And now in verses 3 to 12, beloved brothers and sisters, the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, point to the blessedness or to the happiness or to the joy that one can have when he or her produce the righteousness which the Lord demanded day by day in their life here on earth. Again, to remind you that he is now speaking to those disciples. They belong to him. That's why it said he opened his mouth and he taught them. The them is the one that followed him. And they followed him because they believed that he was the Messiah. In chapter 4 we read that he called his disciples and he said, follow me, Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Later on, Yaakov and John, the same, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, they followed after him. And others that he have, have gathered, they followed after him. Now, of course, we know that there's always some who are true and some who are not. We also know that some who are more faithful than others, as it is today in the present day in which we live in. In the body of Christ, you have some more vessels of honor and some vessels of dishonor. And so here in verses 3 to 12, Yeshua is pointing to the blessedness of those who produce the righteousness which the Lord demanded in their day-by-day living. Now the word for righteousness or the blessedness in the Greek is makarios, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S. In the Hebrew, it is the word ashrei. Ashrei. And we find it, for example, in uh, Psalm 1, where we read in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2. The word for blessed comes from the Hebrew word ashrei. And it comes from the word osher, ashrei, which is simply means that one have true joy when the evident of his love for God and that he is a child of God will be, the evident will be in the way he will behave or she will behave. This same word, Akarios is mentioned in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed 
is he that keepeth the saying of this prophecy of this book. In verse 14 of Revelation 22, Blessed, that word again, makarios in the Greek, ashrei in Hebrew, Blessed are they that do his commandment, that they may have right into the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Very beautiful word. So in verses 3 to 12 of Matthew chapter 5, here is Yeshua pointing to the blessing of those that are uh, showing out in their life that which happened in their heart already. And that's why you notice the righteousness, the blessed righteousness which the Lord demanded in relationship to God and in relationship to man is that which the Lord Jesus the Messiah is now mentioning here to his disciples. And so notice, I will read verses 3 to 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they which mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, teaching his disciples concerning the blessed righteousness which the Lord demanded in relationship to God, which is evident in those that belong to God, when they allow the Spirit of God to lead them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They have a right evaluation of self. They are not thinking of themselves much. They recognize that they need God in their life. Blessed are they that mourn, according to verse 4. They mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why? Because they are sensitive to sin in their life. And so they want to please God, and therefore they mourn when sin comes into their life, and they repent. They shall be comforted by the Lord. Verse 5, Blessed are the meek, the one that is humble. Not weak, but meek. They shall inherit the earth. You see, it's still speaking to the future messianic kingdom that those who are the meek, they will ultimately will inherit the earth. They will enjoy the future messianic kingdom which will be established upon the face of this earth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And verse 6, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. They desire to please God, they live a, a godly life because they want to please God. And it says here in verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is spiritual righteousness. This is practical righteousness that is evident. They will ultimately be satisfied and they will be filled. Notice, beloved brothers and sisters, in these verses, it is the, the blessed righteousness which the Lord demands in relationship to God. And therefore, we have verses 
3, 4, 5, and 6. The poor in spirit, them that mourn, the meek, and them which are hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is in relationship to God. God wants that the life of his own people will be characterized by being poor in spirit, to mourn when sin come into our life, to have meekness, and to have hunger after righteousness. Then in verses 7 to 12, here the Lord Yeshua the Messiah presenting the blessed righteousness which the law demanded, but can only be produced by the power of the Spirit of God, but this time in relationship to men, to mankind. And so you notice that, verse 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Once again, the kingdom is coming, the Messiah is here, and he's presenting the blessing that will flow here in this world during the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, in Hebrew, Malchut HaShamayim, where God, through the person of the Messiah, will rule and reign over this earth. And it is not only the, the attitude that one has to have towards God, but also the attitude that one has to have towards others. That's why he's mentioning merciful to others, pure in heart in a relationship to others, to have to be, become peacemakers, not war makers in this world, which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. When others are persecuted, those that are seeking to honor the Lord because of righteousness, not because of wrongdoing. And verse 11, Blessed are ye when others are reviled, and they will speak against you. They will persecute you and speak against you. Again, he's speaking to the disciples. He hasn't introduced yet the promised church age, because the promised church age was only unfolded in the full sense of the truth, in the full sense of the word, in the full sense of understanding of the church age later on. In Matthew chapter 16, he will say, I will build my church, my assembly, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Looking to the future, I will build. But at this present time, he was Yeshua that he is presenting the quality of true righteousness, which will be evident during the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so he's speaking to the disciples and he's pointing them to the blessing, verses 3 to 12 in chapter 5 here, the blessing that anyone will produce if he or she belong to God in the power of the Spirit of God, the righteousness which the Lord demanded and the Pharisees thought to act upon it and to produce that in, on a basis of 
external works and not on a basis of internal relationship with God. That's why, beloved brothers and sisters of this religion of this world, when one try to be to to live righteously and to be accepted by God on a basis of a work system, of a religion of man-made religion, it doesn't work. Because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We cannot produce righteousness on our own. In fact, the Lord already said in the early chapters of the book of Genesis concerning the condition of the human heart. And I would like to read this to you, beloved friend. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And listen to the second half of verse 5. And that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. There is no good, not even one. And that's why it is only the Spirit of God can produce righteousness that God demanded in the law, in the life of His people, and in the power of the Spirit of God. And that's why today one must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot even, he or she cannot even see the kingdom of God without this, this to be born of the Spirit of God. And so in verses 3 to verse 12, our Lord Yeshua the Messiah points to the blessedness of any who produce the righteousness which is demanded by the law, but they can only produce it in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And that will take place during the kingdom of heaven on earth in the future day when when God through the Messiah will establish the promised messianic kingdom. And now, beloved brothers and sisters, in verses 13 to 16, here the Lord Jesus the Messiah is pointing now, as he teaching the disciples, to the blessed righteousness which the Lord demands, but this time in relationship to the influence that the believers will influence the world when they are led by the Spirit of God. And there is the testimony that will take place when one is led by the Spirit of God and doing the will of the Lord, producing in his or her life the righteousness which the Lord demanded. But it's done in the power of the Spirit of God. And so in verse 13 to verse 16, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, is pointing to the disciples and he says to them, Ye are, notice, he doesn't say ye should or you may be, yes, later on. He said, you are the light of this world. In the context of verse 13, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savory, 
wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth, he says, good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. He's saying, notice this, he actually throughout verses 3 to verse 12, and now from verse 13 to verse 16, he's telling the disciples what they are. That's why it's not so much what they ought to be, but what they are. Let me read again in verse 3. Blessed are the pure in spirit. Verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek. Verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are, verse 10, they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So, he's speaking to those that are already are believers. And because they belong to the Lord, they will be guided by the Spirit of God as they allow the Spirit of God to guide them. What a wonderful lesson we learn. And so, in verse 13, Yeshua is saying to his disciples, ye are the salt of the earth. In relationship to the influence here in this world, the salt, beloved brothers and sisters, gives seasoning, gives flavor. So it gives a purpose in life, joy in life, blessing in life, seasoning in life. Every one of us that belong to the Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, know very well that because of him there is a purpose in our life. And we want to be those that will leave an impact here in this world. Ye are the salt of the earth. If the salt is lost its savor, how shall it be salted? How could it affect others? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast and to be trodden under foot of men. So in verse 13, those who attain the true righteousness which are demanded by the law, they will practice this in their life in the power of the Spirit of God because they believe God and God's Word and they will be led by the Spirit of God and therefore they will leave an impact on all who are around them when they are led by the Spirit of God. So you are salt, the salt of the earth. And therefore, salt can be effective when it doesn't lose its flavor. And salt is also used to preserve, to preserve. And therefore, those that are led by the Spirit of God 
who are the, the salt of the earth, they will also, in their testimony to all around him, will give a testimony to the living God. Otherwise, salt that is not salty cannot leave any effect on the world around us. And finally, beloved brothers and sisters, the blessed righteousness which the Lord demands in relationship to live influence in the world around is found in verse 14, 15, and 16, that the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, is speaking to his disciples and said, not only that he are the salt of the earth, verse 13, but he are also the light of the world. You know, Yeshua said of himself in John 8, I am the light of the world. Here in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And then he continues, verse 14, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, on a candlestick, in order that it will give light unto all that are in the house. In other words, you are already the light of the world because of the fact that you have followed me, Yeshua is saying to his disciples. But if you will be led by the Spirit of God, you will give light to all that are around you. You will influence others. You are the light of the world. The light of the world will give light to others, will influence others, and will lead others out of darkness to God, to God the Father, to God. And so Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, says in verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works. Notice, you're already the light. Your good works is not saving you. It's not a matter of salvation here. They are already following him. They are believers. But their good works will come out of that which was produced in their life because they are justified. And therefore, there will be true quality of righteousness will be evident in their life in the power of the Spirit of God. Let your light so shine before men. Why? The end of verse 16, that they may see your good works, and what? And they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. How wonderful, beloved brothers and sisters and dear friend. In verses 1 to 16 of Matthew chapter 5, our Lord Yeshua the Messiah presents before the disciples or the quality of true righteousness that is produced in the life of the believer that have accepted God, accepted the Messiah, accepted the Lord Jesus, and he or she will produce it by the power of the Spirit of God is we led by the Spirit of God. And then that will be produced in the life of God's people in relationship to God, in relationship to others, 
and in relationship to our influence in a world which is in darkness. May the Lord help us. May the Lord lead each and every believer to produce righteous living as they follow, as we all follow, with the help of the Spirit of God, our blessed Lord, Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah. Well, God bless you, my dear friend. Until the next time, may the Lord encourage you and lead you on. We will say to you all, Shalom, Shalom. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Holy Scriptures and Israel with Gideon Levitan. Gideon teaches God's Word from a Hebrew Messianic perspective. For more information about this ministry, write to Holy Scriptures and Israel, Box 1411, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, L0S1J0, or visit our website at holyscripturesandisrael.com. You are also invited to Gideon's weekly Bible teaching on Fridays at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. at Willowdale Christian Assembly Hall, 28 Martin Ross Avenue in Toronto. Holy Scriptures and Israel is made possible by your prayers and financial support. If you would like to support the program, visit holyscripturesandisrael.com. God bless you. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.